Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, it's great to see you in 2019. I was thinking about this, and uh, it occurred to me a couple of days ago that uh, we have made it into the, to the very end of the second decade of the 21st century. The second decade of the 21st century. Wow. That, uh, for those of us who were born in the 20th century, that's a big deal. If you were born in the 21st century, you're going, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's the only century I've ever known. It's the only century I've ever known. Well, for the rest of us born in the 20th century, it's a big deal. We can't believe we made it. Here we are. Here we are. Well, welcome. It's great to see you. We are uh, launching this new year with an important series that captures our theme for 2019, Go, the World is Waiting. In 2019, we're going to be focusing together on the call Jesus gives us to see uh, uh, what he sees and to go to a world of people who are waiting for the help that uh, we can give. And this is important for us as, as a church and important for us as followers of Jesus because one of the ongoing challenges to going as Jesus sends us, he says, go into all the world, make disciples. One of the ongoing challenges for us in going is seeing. We're so busy, we're so pressed, we're so distracted, and and to be honest, so self-focused sometimes that we struggle to see people around us, the people around us as they really are, as they really could be. And when we don't see people, we don't go to them. We don't engage them. We don't help them. In fact, we actually harm them because when we don't see them, we don't deliver to them the, uh, uh, the things that Jesus says they need and need ultimately for their lives. And so we're uh, focusing on seeing and focusing on going. Now, to help us to set our focus, which is where, the way we're going to begin 2019 together, we're going to turn to Jesus And uh, let him help us set our focus by seeing together how he set the focus of his first disciples. So I want to uh, uh, invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking together at verses 31 to 36. You'll find that on page 889 where we see Jesus focusing his disciples using an unexpected conversation with an uncomfortable woman in an unacceptable place. Jesus teaches his disciples and us an extraordinary and extraordinary lesson. Now, in our passage, the Apostle John completes his record of two conversations that Jesus had early in his ministry. The first was with a man named Nicodemus who was a Jew. The second was with a woman who was a Samaritan. These two couldn't have been any more different than they were. Nicodemus was a Jewish male in a Jewish-dominated society. He was highly learned. He was publicly applauded. He was a man with great power. He was the person everybody wanted to be and everybody wanted to be seen with. He was the insider of the insiders. This woman, on the other hand, was a hated Samaritan living in the same Jewish-dominated land. She was illiterate. She was at the bottom of everything. Where Nicodemus was at the top, she was at the bottom. Socially, religiously, economically, morally, she was publicly despised. She was a woman without power. She was the person nobody wanted to to be with, nobody wanted to be seen with. She was an outcast among outcasts. Even the Samaritans who were outcasts rejected her. She was an outcast of the outcasts, always hiding in plain sight. But these two people had 
Very different people had three things, though, in common. Both of them were empty on the outside. Both of them were seen by Jesus and met where they were, just as they were. And both of them needed Jesus to see them. And both conversations teach us a great deal about how it is that Jesus sees our world and how Jesus sees the people who are in our world. But our focus today is going to be on the second conversation. This conversation with this woman that you see begins in uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 30. You probably know the story of the woman at the well. Um, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. He's leaving Jerusalem. The the, uh, Jewish leaders are starting to clue in that that he is a person of influence, and they're beginning to watch him with their critical gaze. And so he's going through Samaria in order to avoid them. It's midday. It's hot. It's Palestine. It's desert. And and he's weary. He's hungry. He's tired. And he and his disciples come to a to a well. And and Jesus stays there. And, and his disciples go about a half mile to a little village called Sychar to to get some lunch. And while Jesus is there alone, a woman comes alone to the well. She's coming also to avoid some negative gazes, this time from the women in her town. She uh, sees the unexpected Jesus in this unexpected place, and she hears him ask her for water, and she marvels. She can't believe it because she understands the Jews and their racial prejudice against Samaritans. She also understands the Jews and their uh, uh, gender uh, uh, prejudice against women. Uh, Jewish men would not talk to women in public because they believed women had nothing of value to say. (laughs) I'm just telling you what they said. A woman had absolutely nothing of value to say. So you didn't talk to a woman in public. You might talk to your wife at home, but even then you didn't expect her to say much of value. So when Jesus speaks to her and says to her, give me a drink, she marvels. She cannot believe it. And the reality is that this woman who knows the prejudice of the Jews has some prejudices of her own. She sees Jesus, he's a Jew. She hates Jews. She sees Jesus, he's a man. She can't stand men. She's had a bad experience with men. And he's asking for something. And it probably in her life, men were always asking for something. She just doesn't trust men. She probably has some social prejudice going on as well because Jesus isn't well-dressed. Jesus doesn't have a lot of resources. And so here is this guy, this unexpected Jew in an unexpected place at an unexpected time, making and, and giving an unexpected question. He's got nothing to give her. He doesn't have any resources. So she's probably got some, some social uh, prejudice as well. The Jewish way of looking at her and her way of looking at Jews And her way of looking at men, that's all very common, all very common, part of of our human experience, part of human practice. But Jesus, Jesus' way of looking at her is very different. Jesus' way of looking at her is uncommon. Though he is hungry and thirsty, his his focus is not on him and his focus is not on his needs and what he wants. His focus is actually on her. And her reply, do you see it in verse 10, is as unexpected as, as he was. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God, she, she wants to know, why, why do you want water from me? Why are you daring to ask water of me? And, and his reply is, if you knew the gift of God and you knew who it is that sang to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water thinking that uh, Jesus means some kind of magical, physical water. She wants to know a couple of things more. She wants to know, how are you going to get that? You don't even have a bucket to drop in the well. And she wants to know, where do you get that kind of water? 
Jesus' reply to her is, my water isn't the, the kind of physical water that you're looking for or that you're thinking about. My, uh, my, my water isn't that kind of water, the kind of water that doesn't last. My water, the water that I give, once you drink it, leaves you never thirsty again. It satisfies deeply. It's a water, Jesus says, that becomes in you a spring of water welling up for eternal life. She likes that. She asks for that water. But before Jesus gives her the water, he has something he wants to say to her. He says to her, go get your husband. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing when he, when he says that to her. You see, the place of uh, our greatest thirst is almost always the place of our greatest failures. The place of our greatest thirst is almost the place of our greatest, almost always the place of our greatest failures. And the place of our greatest failures is always Jesus' great concern. He loves sinners. He came for sinners. He wants to help sinners. He uncovers sin as a result in us in order to help us, and that is exactly what he's doing. Well, she tells him the truth. She says, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, I, I already know. I already know you don't have a husband. The truth of the matter is you've had five husbands. And Jesus says this gently, not in a kind of a, an, an arrogant way, but he, he just says gently, the truth is you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. You've got a deep thirst that keeps showing up in destructive ways. The water you keep drinking isn't working. Five marriages later, her thirst is not quenched. She's on man number six. She hasn't figured it out yet. Men are not the point of life. Ladies, say amen. Especially men who don't think you have anything worth saying. That's what you call pandering to the crowd. But the woman is absolutely astounded at what Jesus knows. And she says to him in verse 19, you must be a prophet. And Jesus says back to her in verse 26, I'm more than a prophet. I'm the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior long promised. And this outcast is electrified by these words. Cannot believe these words. Could, could this messed up outcast, become a healed up insider. It's really what she wants to know. Could this messed up outsider become a healed up insider and could he really be the Christ? I mean, if he knows this about me and he doesn't know me, what else does he know? What else does he know? Electrified by what she has heard, the woman leaves her water leaves her pot, and she goes rushing back to the town that hates and rejects her to tell the news of what she's seen and what she's heard. And here we take up our text and, and see just how it is that Jesus helps his disciples and helps us to see what he sees so that we will go as he will tell us to go. Notice verse 28. We'll pick up there, I think. So the woman left her water jar, John chapter 4, verse 28, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And so the disciples said to one another, has somebody brought him food? Verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, let me ask you a question, do you not say four months and then there will be a harvest? Look, I want to tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white now for harvest. Already, Jesus says, 
The one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Now here, with this passage before us, I want to do a couple of things. I want you and I to consider how Jesus sees our world and the people in it. And I want us to compare the way Jesus sees our world and the people in it and the way we see our world and the people in it. The question really is, pulsating underneath all of this, is do we, do we see what Jesus sees when he sees our world? Now, of course, to be able to answer that, we need to know what Jesus does see. And so we're going to ask ultimately the question, what does Jesus see when Jesus sees our world and the, and the people in it? That's what we want to pursue. I want you to notice in this passage, Jesus takes three steps to show his disciples and to show us how he sees the world and how he sees people and how it is that uh, uh, he he wants us to, to live. It's a basis for how he wants us to live in this world of ours. First, Jesus challenges the old view of people. Then he offers a new, bigger view of life and people. And then finally... Jesus insists on a hope-filled view of life and people. Challenges the old, he offers a new view, and then he insists on a hope-filled view of life and people. And today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the first. We're going to look together at the old view of life and people and to consider what that says to us about how Jesus sees our world and those around us. Verses 31 to 34. Now, the the Samaritan woman, she's rushing back on that half-mile trek to town. And as she does, John reports, meanwhile, verse 31, that the disciples are urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat, Rabbi, eat. But he says to them, I've got food to eat you don't know anything about. And so the disciples begin to, to ask themselves, has someone brought him something to eat? And Jesus says to them, no, no, no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here, here are the disciples. They've come up on Jesus talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman, in a public place that really wasn't so public. There was nobody else around. They are shocked. They are stunned. Have you ever walked in on an awkward situation? Have you? And it's kind of like, oh, oh, you don't know what to do. You wish you were invisible suddenly. Have you, ever, have you ever had that experience like, oh, goodness, what do I do? You're just going to kind of do this or whatever. This is exactly the way the, uh, the disciples felt walking up on Jesus. She's talking to him. It's like, what are you doing? Have you fallen off the wagon? This is not like you. What, what are you doing? We don't talk to women. And we don't talk to Samaritans. And if we are going to talk to women who are Samaritans, we don't do it in a a place where nobody else is is, is out. What in the world are you doing? But in those awkward situations when you don't know what to say, you reach for the nearest thing you've got. Hey, you hungry? (laughs) Eat. Eat, Jesus, eat. Sounds like a Greek mother, right? Eat, eat, Jesus, eat. Because we don't know what to say because this is so awkward. This is so embarrassing. You're talking to this woman. Jesus uses their awkwardness and their request for him to eat to explain to them what he's doing. He wants to explain to them what he's doing, what he's about, not only with this Samaritan woman, but what he's about in the world. He wants them to understand why he's doing what he's doing. And so he redirects their focus in verse 32 from the physical to the spiritual, and he says to them effectively, you wonder why I, as a Jewish rabbi, why I'm talking to a woman. You wonder why I'm talking to a Samaritan woman. I'll tell you why. This is my mission. It's to go to the world to help people as they really are at the deepest point of their greatest need. That's why I've been sent. That's why I'm here. My mission 
is to the rich and the powerful, the well-positioned and the famous, the religious and the self-righteous. But my mission is also to the poor and to the powerless, to the lowly, the forgotten, the irreligious, the morally messed up. I've been sent, verse 34, to do the Father's will and to do the Father's work in this world. And His will and His work is this. He so loved the whole world of people, people of every kind and every description, that He sent and gave me His only Son, so that whosoever believes and puts their wholehearted trust in me will not perish but have eternal life. He didn't send me to find the perfect. He didn't send me to condemn the messed up. He sent me, watch now, to find the thirsty and give them what only will satisfy them. And so what Jesus is saying to these disciples is, gentlemen, what this means is I'm not like you. I don't see people the way you see people. I don't relate to people the way you relate to people. I'm not like Nicodemus. I'm not like the woman who just walked away from this well. I'm not like humanity as it's come to be. I don't see people the way you see each other. Your way is the old way of seeing people. You rank each other. You treat each other on the basis of what you can get from each other. You value others on the basis of what they can do to help you get what you want, what you need, or to help you feel better about yourselves. You, you make race an issue. You make sex an issue so you can look down on other people and feel better about you. But my way, Jesus says, is radically different. See, Jesus doesn't rank us. Jesus doesn't put a value on us based upon what we can do for him because we can't do anything for him. But he sees us, and he sees us as we are. And out of his mercy, he seeks to meet the need we have and can't fill with a love big enough for the whole world. And consequently, he's not only looking, he's not only looking for the rich and ignoring the poor. He's not only looking for the poor and ignoring the rich. He's not only looking for women and ignoring men. He's not only looking for men and ignoring women. He's not looking for the old and ignoring the young. He's not looking for the young and ignoring the old. He's looking, Jesus is looking for the thirsty. Jesus is looking for the thirsty. And he's looking, watch now, for their thirst. He's looking for their thirst. And that's why he took the time to speak to a woman that nobody else would speak to. And that's why he took the time to speak to a powerful man that some people would reject as corrupt. It's why he took the time to see and come and live and die and be, ra and be raised again because he saw all of us as thirsty, all of us living in a desert place. The woman had her well of relationships in, in her desert place, to be sure. Nicodemus had a well that he used for his thirst, a well of self-righteousness. The truth of the matter is, we've got wells too. Wells that we try to use to satisfy our thirst in our desert places. And so do, watch now, watch now, watch now. And so do the people all around us that we find in our world. Thirsty people with wells they use to try to satisfy the thirst they feel. Everybody's got a well. Wells of fame, wells of success, wells of pleasure, wells of security, wells of fulfillment, wells of significance, wells of acceptance, wells of self-righteousness, wells of control. 
And like a man or woman stranded in a desert so thirsty for water that they will drink the sand around them to try to quench it, we try drinking water from these wells. But in the same way, the sand won't satisfy because it isn't water. In the same way, the sand only makes that drinker thirstier. All of the things we think will satisfy us with life only make us thirstier as well. We human beings need water. Without water, we die. Jesus is making it plain that when he sees us, when he sees our world, he sees human beings that need him. And he knows that without him, we die. And so where the rest of us find it easy to have bias against others, Jesus had none. He cares for the powerful Jewish man. He doesn't envy him. He doesn't hate him. He sees him. He's thirsty. He also cares equally for the Samaritan woman. He doesn't ignore her. He doesn't despise her. He sees her. She's thirsty. He sees them both because he loves them, and he goes to them because he has what they need, a living, eternal water. The Father sent him looking for the thirsty. That was his mission. That is his mission. And as we're going to see, that is the mission of every believer as well. So Jesus shows us that the call to follow him includes a call to get free of that old way of seeing the world and seeing people and adopting or replacing it with a new way, a bigger way of seeing our world and people the way that Jesus sees them, to use the view that Jesus uses. So when it comes to the question, what does Jesus see when he sees our world and the people in it, I think a, 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 a good answer to that question on the basis of this passage is this. Jesus sees a thirsty world, tired of drinking sand, waiting for living water. And if you really want to understand the people who are around you, and if you really want to understand your own heart, at the end of the day, anything but Jesus that we try to drink to satisfy our thirst is sand. Never satisfies. Never satisfies. Sand is never water, and success is never Jesus. Fame is never a substitute for Jesus. Accomplishment is never a substitute. Money, power, control, they're never substitutes. What Jesus sees when he sees our world is he sees a thirsty world tired of drinking sand, waiting for living water. All kinds of people all kinds of people, if we, if we see them, are waiting. All kinds of people are in need of a chance to come to faith in, in this one who's satisfied. Rich and poor, black and white, Hispanic and Asian, male and female, needy and knowing it, needy and not knowing it, once churched and never churched people, they're all waiting and they're all thirsty. We're all thirsty. We're all in need of a chance to see and hear of Jesus, to say yes or no to Him and the water that He gives. If only we would see them first as Jesus sees them. If only we would really see the people in our world. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but before Jesus ever said at the end of His ministry, go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, before He ever said that, he said to his disciples, look, lift up your eyes and see the fields. They're already wide unto harvest. A thirsty world is waiting. Now, the question then comes, what does that mean for us in 2019? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? 
If you're a follower of Jesus, let me tell you what that means in 2019, this, this lesson. First of all, it means if you don't love like Jesus loves, you'll never see what Jesus sees. If you don't love like Jesus loves, you won't see what Jesus sees. There are many, many, many reasons why we don't share our faith, why we don't go. Um, and it's not necessarily so much that we don't know how to share the gospel or that we don't know the gospel. And it's not necessarily true that we don't have a testimony to life change that we could share that would be part of the gospel. But we make that as an excuse, or we'll say that we're afraid, and, and that's pretty normal. That's pretty normal. It's, it's odd, though, you know. If uh, one of my kids or one of my grandkids is in trouble and uh, rescuing them might do me some harm, there might be some fear, but I'm going. Why? Because I like taking risks. I want to see if I'm fireproof, if my house is on fire. I'm testing. No, no. No, 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 I love them. And love overcomes fear. See, I think the real reason we don't share our faith like we know we should is that we just don't really love like we should. And because we don't love like Jesus loves, we don't see like Jesus sees. We don't see the thirsty. Second, reality is if, if you don't see what Jesus sees, you, you'll never go where, when Jesus sends. You just never will. If you don't see the need, you won't go to meet it. And that makes all the difference. We got to see before we will ever go. So, here we go. If you don't love like Jesus loves, you won't see what Jesus sees. Well, you see, I'm gifted at this, right? If you don't see what Jesus sees, you won't go when Jesus sends. Last year, I don't know, about in spring or so, uh, we had a family wedding down in Montgomery, Alabama. Don't say Roll Tide. Um, and uh, the only person who could go with me was my daughter, Brittany. And it's a pretty long trip. It's hours and hours in the car, and, and uh, Brittany's married and, and has, a, has a little one, and and I hadn't spent that much time with Brittany in a long time, and I'm starting to think, okay, now what am I going to talk about for all these hours of my adult daughter, you know? It's like, are we going to run out of stuff to talk about? You can only talk about your grandchild so long, and then you run out of stuff. And So I'm thinking, how's this going to work? But it turned out to be the best trip ever. She was so much fun. Uh, there was no need to worry about running out of anything to talk about. She had me laughing. It was a blast. And I, I remember, uh, I was amazed. She has this gift with people. She has this extraordinary gift with people. And I, we walked into a Starbucks somewhere on the trip. And, uh, and we're going in to, to get some coffee. And uh, we walk up to the counter. And, and, and the barista behind the counter has got, you know, she's all tatted up. She's got piercings everywhere, her hair standing up. And she's not happy. And here I am with my button-down collar, you know. Well, she doesn't like me. She does not like me. And Brittany's with me, so she doesn't like Brittany either. She doesn't like us. And so I order my coffee, and she grunts at me, and then, and then Brittany comes up to order, and, and, uh, and, and I watch her. And, and, and I'm telling, I'm not kidding you, in three minutes... Brittany had her laughing and talking and smiling, and I'm going. Oh, I love your earrings and this and that and this and that. And the woman's going. 
oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, can I get you any more? Can I just, three minutes. We got in the car, and I said, Brittany, I said, honey, I, I got to tell you, you got a gift. That was amazing. Can I ask you a question? She said, sure, Dad. I said, what were you thinking when you were, when you were approaching her and, and she was so sharp and, and, and clipped with her answers and, and just her whole demeanor? I said, what were you thinking? She said, Dad. She said, this is what I know. Anybody who's acting like that is really hurting. And as soon as I see somebody like that, I start to look for a way to help them with their hurt. My guess is that she assumed rejection, and I wanted to show her complete acceptance. I like your earrings. I can get your hair to stand up like that. It wouldn't work for me because I have none. But I thought, yeah, that's the way of Jesus. Always be looking for the thirsty and don't let them put you off by the way they react or respond. Don't let that Samaritan woman and her five husbands and living with another man keep you from seeing her as a person broken and thirsty and in need of the water that only Jesus can give her. Who's your Nicodemus? Strong, powerful, you don't think they need a thing. They're thirsty. Who's your Samaritan woman? Broken, messed up. She's thirsty. He's thirsty. Thirsty people around you and me are going to miss the life Jesus has to give if we don't share. Listen to me. Every person in your world is thirsty, spiritually thirsty. And every person around you needs Jesus. And everyone around you is just, if you're a follower of Jesus, just as you used to be, no matter how they seem, they're living in a desert so thirsty for water that they're drinking whatever sand they can find around them that promises to quench their thirst. Can you see them? Do you care? What if, what if, what if, what if in 2019 you began to pray, asking God to help you see all the different people he's placed around you? What if you ask God to help you see past the, the, the racial barriers, past the gender barriers, past the social barriers? What, what, if, what if you started to see people the way Jesus saw people? What if you saw the people around you as people God put there for you to see and engage? Well, what if you ask the Father to show you who is thirsty and who is ready? What, what if you ask the Father to show you who is thirsty and ready, especially those you've been overlooking, ignoring, and discounting, because very often the ones that you've been ignoring overlooking and discounting are the readiest to hear what you have to share. What if, what if you began to look intentionally for the thirsty and their thirsts? What if you began to live intentionally looking at people saying, what? Are you thinking? And who do you think you are? What if we started doing that? You say, well, pastor, I already do that. Well, I know. I know you do. You just do it the wrong way. 
But what if when you come up to that barista at Starbucks and she is clipped and curt and unkind? And God helping you, you, you began to say, to ask her without saying it, maybe to ask yourself, what are you thinking? Who do you think you are and who do you think you aren't? Where are you hurting? See, by asking what are you thinking, you're trying to get at the base of, of what's going on. When you ask who do you think you are, you're trying to get at the base of, of the way they see themselves. Broken, worthless. What if we began to look intentionally for the thirsty and their thirst? Recognizing that under every search for every well, regardless of what it is, fame, success, or whatever, underneath that search for that sand we keep drinking, thinking it's going to quench, underneath that is a deep abiding hunger for a personal relationship with God. The pursuit of success is a pursuit of God. The pursuit of fame is a pursuit of God. The pursuit of pleasure is a pursuit of God. The pursuit of acceptance is the pursuit of God. Some of them are more obvious than others, but they're all a part of a pursuit of what only God can give. What if we began looking intentionally for the thirsty and their thirst, believing that Jesus is the water they're actually looking for. Do you know what would happen if we did that? We'd actually start seeing people. We'd actually start noticing their thirst. We'd actually start thinking about, now, how does the gospel apply to, to, to where they're hurting? How does the gospel apply to where they're living? How, how can I show the gospel and how can I share the gospel with this person who's been in my life, but for whatever reason, I've, I've not seen them. I've ignored them. I've dismissed them. I've assumed some things about them. I think we would be amazed. Jesus says the fields are already white to harvest. They're just right there. But we'll never see them if we don't care. We'll never share unless we when you came in, you received a card. I want to give you a tool. I want to help you. I found this to be incredibly, incredibly helpful for me. And uh, I want to share it with you. I, and, and I want to ask you to, to, to take this. I want to ask you to start to fill this out. I want you to bring it back next Sunday. Uh, this is a tool that, that helps you to list the names of people that God has placed around you, whom you sense need Christ, the gospel, and, and the life that he gives. You may not know exactly what their spiritual condition is, but one thing that's all, almost always very obvious is whether they're drinking water or sand. The guy who's up at 4.30 and works for hours and gets home at 10 at night, drinking sand. Am I telling it right, gentlemen? Uh, women did better this, this today. Um, who in your family, who among your friends and acquaintances, who, who is uh, different from you culturally that you've kind of kept at arm's length because you don't know how to connect with them? Who among your co-workers has God put there? Who among your social groups, other, other groups, your, the folks you run with, uh, play golf with, whatever it is you do? And how about your neighbors? Now, this won't work if you live out in a rural setting, but if you live in a neighborhood, who, who are the people that live around you? Who, who lives in front of you? Do you know? Who, who lives 
on each corner of you? Who lives beside you? Who lives behind you? Are there any of them that you suspect may be living their lives thirsty? And God has you right there in that house. The H is for your home. God has you in that home because he wants you to reach those people. You say, oh, you don't know my neighbors. Yeah, I do. They're thirsty. Yeah, I do. They're thirsty. And God has you living right there to connect with those people there. Your world is waiting for you to go. You know, I, uh, I can't come to the end of this message without asking the question, of course, as to the state of your own personal thirst. And this will sound like an old school Baptist preacher if I say, what are you drinking? I'll let that sink in for a minute. But I want to ask the question, what are you drinking? What well are you stopping at? What, what has been your well of choice in 2018? Where is it that you're going to get life? Where is it that you're going to be satisfied? Where have you been dropping your bucket and, and pulling up? Water. In order to quench the thirst that you have. Where is that? Can I ask this question? Has it really been Jesus or has it been something else? If you're a follower of Jesus, has it really been Jesus or has it been something else? Has it been accomplishment or success or progress? Accumulation of things, recognition of people? What have you been drinking? Has it been water? Or have you gone back to drinking sand? Perhaps the very best way for you to begin this new year, and I'm speaking to believers, perhaps the very best way for you to begin this new year is to check and see what's in your glass and make sure that it really is Jesus. But I say to all of us, what have you been drinking? What are you thirsting for? At the end of the day, we all are thirsty. We've all tried to satisfy our thirst with other things. Sand never works, and maybe for the first time you realize that you've spent your entire life drinking sand. I want to say to you today, the Jesus who saw Nicodemus and engaged him, the Jesus who saw the woman at the well and engaged her is the same Jesus who is here now ready to see you. He sees you. He knows who you are, where you are, where you've been, and he's still here. His love overcomes anything and everything that belongs to your past. And he's here. And he says, I have for you a spring of water welling up, ready to well up inside of you that will satisfy you like nothing else can. The bad news is we've all been drinking out of bad wells.
It's our fault. We're all sinners. We deserve separation from God. The good news is that God in His great mercy sent His Son to take on that sin for us, to stand in our place, to die in our place. That Son has been raised from the dead. He lives showing, demonstrating that the Father has accepted His payment for our sins. Showing, demonstrating the Father is ready to forgive us of our sins. If with a wholehearted faith in the life, death, and resurrection, we will give our lives to Jesus. With His wholehearted love, the Father of all creation will receive us to Himself as His children. Turning from our old way of life, Placing a wholehearted faith in Jesus, we receive living water, the kind that won't let you thirst anymore. Just stand across the room. Ultimately, all of life is about surrender. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or a follower of something else, all of life is ultimately about surrender. And we all live surrendered to something. We all live pursuing something. But it is this surrender to Christ that is the greatest surprise of life. When you give all of yourself up to Him, that's when you finally discover all that you were meant to be and who you really are. So today, if you would give your life to Christ, I'm going to invite our, our prayer partners to come and we, we would be ready to pray with you. If you're a follower of Jesus today and you've been drinking out of the wrong well and you just want somebody to pray with you to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm changing glasses. I'm I, I, I realize I've been drinking stuff that doesn't satisfy. I want to invite you to come. Let us pray with you. Let's see if you aren't able now in Christ to launch 2019 in a very different way from the 2018 that you lived. Carlos, would you come? Ladies, we have a lady here. I'll meet you here come as together we sing this song of surrender. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.